Welcome into Tech Talk Today, episode 268. My name is Chris. And I'm Angela. Hello, Angela. It's our beginning of the week episode, and there's definitely a theme, a trend, if you will, that we're going to get into. But let's talk about the show a little bit first. We put the call out on last week's episode, the end of the week episode, for feedback on if we should keep going for season two and maybe what we should change for season two. I started a thread specifically for our patrons on our Jupiter Signal Patreon, and we also got some uh, people that uh, tweeted us. I think a lot of people liked us doing the news, Mm -hmm. uh, less of the personal stories, more of the news focus, which takes a lot less time for me. So not opposed to that. And uh, people are all around pretty universal thumbs up for season two. Yeah, definitely. People like the format and hearing the news stories. And it's just I think it is like a a really good complimentary show to the other ones that we have on the network. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, it does sort of fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying we're not doing season two because I'm thinking it's in the cards. I don't know if we're doing it immediately. I don't know if maybe we're going to take a break for a little bit and run some user errors in its place because I only have so much time to edit and produce the shows. Mm -hmm. But something in some we're going to work on it. I I feel like I still got more experimenting to do with this show, too. Absolutely. Yeah. So be flexible and and give us your feedback. Right. It'd be really fun to have the show go go during Linux Fest Northwest when we're going to have like Alan in town and Noah in town. Like it just would be great to get them on the microphone and do some of the stories with me. Yep. So I'm really tempted to just keep it going. Uh, We'll see. We got a couple more episodes left in this season and we'll keep you posted. I may sneak a few more extra surprises in, but let's start with the news. We have a lot to talk about, including a really serious story. So I want to thank Ting for making this episode possible. Go to last.ting.com. It's a smarter way to do mobile. Your average Ting bill for your phone, like with a device and your minutes and your messages and your megabytes is $23 per month. It's pay for what you use wireless, your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. Whatever you use, that's what you pay. No contracts, nationwide coverage, and Ting has a CDMA and a GSM network, which means lots of devices are supported. You could probably get a $25 credit if you bring a device that works on Ting when you visit last.ting.com. It's a great way to do mobile because they have a dashboard that gives you complete control. You can see your usage at a glance. You can turn devices on or off. And for my personal usage. The CDMA and GSM network means I can pick whichever one's particularly better in my area. We have three devices on our Ting bill, and we're usually paying around 35 45 bucks a month, depending on what's going on. It's a great way to go. It's great to give a phone to the family, or if you're a small business as well. And with devices only costing you $6 per line once you've got them purchased, you can really scale that up. That's really economical for businesses. Check it out. Go to last.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Tech Talk Today, last.ting.com. All right, everybody. It has happened. The Uber self-driving car has killed somebody, unfortunately. Yeah, I've actually heard some people report it's the second time, but at least in this piece, they're saying it's the first known pedestrian death involving self-driving cars. Yeah. It was a 49-year-old woman. Uh, She was crossing the road outside of a crosswalk when an Uber vehicle operating in autonomous mode under the supervision of a human safety driver struck her. Now, they took her after the incident to the hospital around 10 p.m., and uh, she died there after her injuries. Uber's looking into the matter, and as a result, they've suspended all self-driving vehicles on all public roads, which they had operations in Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Toronto, and the Phoenix area. I have to wonder, the article didn't go into detail, uh, obviously, because it's still under investigation, but is it because she was outside the crosswalk? Could the human controller of the autonomous autonomous vehicle not see her? Like, what? 
I, I'd be really curious night. to know the parameters. It was of... probably dark a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Uh-huh. But there's going to be an investigation into this, and it may go it may go up the chain quite a bit. Uh, this happened um, just last night as we're recording this episode. So we'll probably over the next couple of days learn more. I suppose if there's anything significant that develops, we can pick it up in our end of the week episode. Sure. Mm-hmm. And now for the next thing. Google, Amazon, and Facebook. Oh, my. Yeah, this is definitely a little less heavy and really an interesting development by Google. It started out as a rumor this morning. And when we were prepping the show, that's how we were tracking it. But now Google's actually confirmed it. Uh, Reuters first ran the story reporting that Google is teaming up with Target, Walmart, Home Depot, and Costco for a new project. These companies and other companies that are willing participants are going to index their catalogs on Google, which will show up when you start searching for something. Right. Because right now, if I go to Google and I search nine times out of 10, it's an Amazon, Amazon. link that comes up first. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not saying that that these vendors are, uh, will be replacing the Amazon. It's going to be right. in its own bar. Well, you've seen it now. Uh, yeah. You've seen the shopping section on Google now that comes up like in those boxes. Yes. It's going to be part of that program when you, and it'll show up in there. But there's an interesting freaking element to this, which I think you are particularly interested in, yes. is there's going to be some sort of persistent universal shopping cart that persists across Google Assistant, Google Search, and potentially across different store vendors. Yeah. Basically, they're trying to make it easier for you to order things via mobile uh, or using um, Google well, Assistant. Yeah. Voice. Google wouldn't say Alexa, right? <laughs> but Cancel. And, yeah, oh, Oh, man. I, <laughs> I, that's so funny because yeah. that happened last time, too. And I, and you know what I do is I just say Echo. Okay. I say Amazon Echo. Yeah. Well, I noticed that you, you replaced that in the title last week. Yeah. And I thought, I wonder why he did that. But then, but then afterwards, when I said it and you canceled it. Okay. Anyway. Um, well, Universal cart. So you can shop across mobile, desktop, and voice controlled devices, and you can shop across Target and Walmart. Google doesn't necessarily take a cut in the display results, but they take a cut at the purchase time. And this is the, uh, the, the incentive for Target and Walmart to work together with Google mm-hmm. is 100% to combat Amazon. This yeah. is absolutely an anti-Amazon move. First strike. Yeah. And uh, Google is uh, got a got a, they got a name for this. They call it shopping actions. Wow. Yeah. I kind of like that. But um so instead of taking the the or having a an ad fee for those vendors, um Google like Chris said is going to take a a percentage of it, which feels like feels like it's going to be a lot more money than yeah. than just, you know, hey, we showed your product this many times, but right. this, oh, I guess it's a it's a balance. Like yep. A lot of people will view it, but maybe not buy it. And so then there would be ad revenue generated without a purchase. But if a lot of purchases are made, you know. Well, the other thing it does is it gives the uh, Google Assistant a competitive feature with the Echoes. The Echoes, first and foremost, allow you to order products from Mm Amazon.com. Now, the Google Assistants will allow you to order products from lots of retailers, Mm -hmm. just like you do from the Echo. And now, oh, yeah, you can do that on the Assistant. Right. So that's a pretty competitive feature for them. So how come you haven't renamed your Echo well, you can Here. Only, you can only do certain names now. They've limited. Oh, really? Yeah. You used to be able to do any arbitrary name through a hack, but now okay, you can but- do like Echo, Computer, and the A word. <laughs> and the A word. But I've, I've I've habituated so much to the A word. Now, don't you? Isn't the one of the RV called Lady Tubes? 
No, no. I, I when when you could, I was doing that. But then they oh, did okay. an update that doesn't let you. Ah. Yeah, they took they took away the fun. You had to like you had to hack like the HTML source to make I it see. work of the huh. control page. Interesting. So there's a lot of people talking about Facebook this week. Now Facebook's doing a lot of different stuff. They've learned they're launching new gaming SDKs. They are announcing several other things that we're going to talk about. But they're really in the news this week for what is being labeled as a data breach. Have you heard of this? Yes. Cambridge Analytica data breach. Uh, the NBC News headline, Cambridge Analytica harvested data from millions of unsuspecting Facebook users. I want to go back a little bit into the story and give you some background on what's going on here. This is all coming out because of a whistleblower. My name is Christopher Wiley. I'm a data scientist and I helped set up Cambridge Analytica. So he worked at Cambridge Analytica as their director of research. I played a pivotal role in setting up a company that I think has done a lot of harm to the democratic process. So this guy comes out to a, a news outlet, uh, a UK news outlet called Channel 4 News, and tells them that he feels regret for his role in Cambridge Analytica harvesting data from 500 million Americans. Um, yeah, I do. I do feel responsible for it. Um, and uh, it's something that I regret. And that's partly why I'm here talking to you, so that I can talk to, so that so that people can know about what this company does, um, what this company is. Throughout history, you have examples of grossly unethical experiments. Um, now, this was used to weaponize political ads to go after the esoteric personality quirks of individual voters, down to the very specific person level. I'm going to go deeper into the how it was used in the elections in Unfilter. We'll save that for the Unfilter show and let's mm -hmm. stick with the tech and the data here in Tech Talk. So what happened was is Cambridge Analytica essentially got this huge data dump from Facebook using very permissive privileges for their application. And you've seen these kinds of apps on Facebook before that are like, take this personality quiz and find out what celebrity you're most like. Yeah. Well, one of the little things in the fine print is it's also going to suck in all of your friends' data. So 200,000 people, roughly, uh, take these tests, these personality tests. Mm -hmm. But by these 200,000 individuals, it's believed that Cambridge Analytica was able to get very specific information on up to two. They went from 200,000 taking the test to getting data on up to 200 million Americans and 500 million people around the world. It's really kind of a sophisticated operation. Then they weaponize this information. We spent almost a million dollars doing this. It wasn't some tiny pilot project. It was the, the core of what Cambridge Analytica became. It allowed us to, to move into the, 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 the hearts and minds of American voters in a way that had never been done before. There is a lack of awareness. It is coercive. People, if I am studying you and I have enough information about you because you've curated your entire self online and I capture that, I can, I can anticipate what are your mental vulnerabilities? What cognitive biases might you display in certain situations? He goes on to say that they developed algorithms that could predict your behavior more accurately than some top psychologists could. Wow. 
that they got really good at it because they were able to combine it with not just the information people share online, like the time they're active, the people that they're around via picture analysis and the people that they tag in their posts. But then you combine that with a data dump from, say, a data broker who monitors credit card transactions and loyalty card usage and coupon usage. And then you tie that with, like we talked about in the last episode, MoviePass. Mm -hmm. And you start building these super information profiles around people. And they used key Facebook data to pull this off. I mean, to be clear, Facebook was an absolute enabler. You know, it was a big mistake to use this method, um, but why Facebook didn't, you know, make more inquiries when they started seeing that, you know, tens of millions of records were being pulled this way, you know, I don't know. You would have to ask Facebook that. But Facebook, at least in a technical sense, facilitated the project because they they had applications that had these permissions in the first place. Man, the regulation ban hammer is coming down on Facebook hard. And so this is coming out of Channel 4 in the UK. Of course, there's a lot going on here. And now all eyes are on Facebook and not in a good way. Yeah, some, some data here, uh, a lot of data on about 50 million users got into the hands of a of a, a third party, a professor actually, who was doing, uh, you know, ostensibly getting access to that data to do an academic study. That data eventually found its way to a, a consulting firm, which uh, did some uh, business for the Trump campaign. So it kind of goes to the issue of really how much control does Facebook really have over its its data and its users' data, most most notably. And this is just another issue in a long list of data issues. Not maybe maybe it wasn't technically a breach, as Facebook is arguing, but it clearly goes to the issue of control of the data, access to the data, and how that data is used. And this is just another issue that Facebook has to deal with. Yeah, it hit Facebook hard today. Their stock is almost down 7%, which, get ready for this, equates to nearly $36 billion wiped off of Facebook's value as shares went down after this news. Yeah, it was about $15 per share that it went down. And it's the biggest percentage it's gone down in five years. Yeah. You also have uh, a New York professor suing Cambridge Analytica to find out what they know about him. And this is interesting because it came out the same time that the uh, Facebook announced it was stopping its yes. dealings with that. Yes. Like, but so he was ready. Like he was already on it. Maybe. Yeah. Like, well, that's probably the Facebook probably knew it was coming behind the scenes. Yeah. Because uh, his lawyer uh, submitted a request to the British court uh, uh, to get information from Cambridge Analytica, and something tells me they probably gave the Facebook folks a heads up when they got that mm. legal notice. Um, anyways. Then you have you have uh, politicians now who are, who are calling for regulation of Facebook and Facebook just wants people to focus on the good things. They want people yeah. to talk about how they're going to be the new YouTube competitor. They want people saying Facebook's going to save us from YouTube. Come to Facebook. Don't just promote your content, but actually publish it on Facebook. Stop talking about all this data stuff. And to sort of entice creators, they're going to soon let you subscribe to your favorite creator for five dollars a month. Yeah. Which Twitch does too. Makes makes me eye roll. Like it's yeah. just not a good place. Like first of all, I know. Like when when Facebook first became a good place to share your content, we made pages, you know, and we had followers and in the beginning, yeah. they all saw our content. Yeah. But over time, maybe like, you know, a 25th <laughs> yeah, they just the slowly followers. turn down the dial and yeah. then, then ask you to pay to get it. To get at, yeah. yeah. Like. And, th and it's interesting how they do that. So they're doing the reverse here. So you'll get, so to subscribe, you 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 
pay $4.99 a month. And for the beginning to incentivize the creators, Facebook is not going to take a cut. The creator gets all of that. But you know, at a certain point, just like Apple, just like Google, they're going to take like a 30 percent cut. At some Absolutely. Point. Yes. Well, and is it and it's per creator then? It's not like yeah. a uh, it's not like a. Uh, That's how it works on Twitch. Too. One subscription is no, all. per creator. Yeah. So they're the competing idea. now with Patreon, too. Right. Yes, exactly. However, it you know, it honestly, it took Patreon a couple of years to get as streamlined as they are now, and they still have improvements to go. Yeah. So I just, I feel like Facebook is really overreaching at this point. Yeah, but they're trying to strike while the adpocalypse iron is still hot, I think. Sure. And, you know, creators are talking more. I There's several YouTubers I follow that are launching Twitch channels mm-hmm. because uh, they want want to have like a plan B for YouTube. Right. And it is going to, it would take somebody with a massive infrastructure to, to compete with YouTube. Yeah. Who really don't want it to be YouTube. Or I mean, Facebook, I have yeah. no interest in JB publishing videos directly to. Right. Ugh, just. Yeah. I mean, it keeps me for, thinking yeah. about it for our network. It, it, we don't have a lot of Facebook users or primarily, yeah. you know? You, yeah. You actually, and that's, that's a good thing to keep in mind because I don't think this is actually being really positioned for networks like us or creators like us, because there's a couple of other features that are slipped into this announcement that don't really work for us. But I, I could see it maybe for like businesses that think they need this stuff. Uh, Facebook also announced a special version of its rights management system specifically for creators so they can upload their content and then get alerts if it's pirated. Wow. Yeah, it's that's a funny concept to upload something to the internet and then not want it to get wide distribution. <laughs> right. Like, what, what is, you're doing it wrong. Uh, <laughs> Facebook's also going to create a dashboard where advertisers can find creators for branded content projects, uh, which are videos or posts that can be created by an online influencer in exchange for money from a brand or advertiser. So they're really trying to make it, I come over to Facebook, there's a built-in revenue stream. Come over to Facebook. But everybody knows the big money is in cracking iPhones. And we've talked about the San Bernardino case where there was that, uh, was it Celebrate? Wasn't that the name of the company? Celebrate, the Israeli yeah, company? So. Yeah, Celebrate. And uh, they charged a rather handsome $5,000 per device to get access to the iPhone. So you remember the San Bernardino shooting, the FBI wanted access to the iPhone. They got a contract from Celebrite eventually, and they paid them around $5,000 per device they want to get access to. But you know what, Ange? That's 2017 chump change, because in 2018, the game's changed. There is now a new device on the market made by a company named Grayshift, and they're based in Atlanta, Georgia. They were founded in 2016, and they're a privately held company with fewer than 50 employees, but yet they have a device that's worth $15,000. According to Forbes, the Gray Key iPhone unlocker device is marketed for in-house use at law enforcement offices or labs. It's a little black box the size of, say, a Roku with two white lightning cables sticking out the front. Two iPhones can be connected at a time, and you connect them for about two minutes. After that, you disconnect them from the device, but they're not yet cracked. Sometime later, the phones will display a black screen with a passcode, among other information. The exact length of time varies, taking about two hours when they were observed by uh, the author uh, over at uh, Forbes. But if you have a long, complicated, like six-digit passcode or even longer, it can take three to six days or maybe even longer. Uh, Grayshift doesn't say how long for, say, like a long passphrase. 
But what it's doing is it's installing malware in the background that's taking advantage of some flaw in iOS or something and cracking the password. Huh. And then it comes up with a screen and just gives you the passcode to unlock the phone. After the device is unlocked, you can get all access to the file system contents because they're protected via the, the key. Wow. The device itself comes into... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was, so what is Apple doing about this? Well, that's a good question. We have not yet seen a response. That's what's funny because you know they're going to try to fix it. Mm-hmm. Think about think about the fact that this is going to be a limited time flaw when you hear yes. these prices, right? So the first plan to get one of these uh, gray key devices, $15,000, right. requires internet connectivity for the device to function. It's strictly geofenced, meaning that once it's set up, it cannot be used on any other network. That's the $15,000 version. Oh. Now, if you're a department with some money, you can spend $30,000. <laughs> and at that price, you get the full thing. The device requires no internet connection whatsoever, has no limit on the number of unlocks, and it's going to work for as long as the vulnerabilities that it relies on are still there. I'm thinking this will probably end up on the black market, you know? Like, it's one of those things, and its efficacy will probably be fairly limited once Apple responds or, you know, shuts yeah, it, it down. It. In the meantime, though, it could go for a pretty big price tag on yeah. the black market. Yeah. And, you know, if these are in these cop offices, it's not impossible that somebody could walk in and grab one if they know what they're looking for, especially now that it's getting press coverage. You know what would be funny is if they made it a limited number of uses. They I, they might on the 15,000. They weren't clear. Like, yeah, you can only unlock 20 phones using this. And <laughs> and my question, though, is why two phones? Why do you have to hook up two phones to it? No, it's up to two phones. So, oh, at the, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, OK. So you okay. could just do if you just want to crack one phone, you could. Oh, OK. Yeah. But it's for those busy offices that have more than one iPhone to crack. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The gray key. Yeah, it's definitely the gray area. I bet they'll be getting a nog from Apple's lawyers, too, because they're a U.S. company. They're down in Georgia. So. Hmm. Hey, just as a follow-up story, remember last episode we talked about Facebook and Google banning cryptocurrency ads? Yep. Well, Twitter is jumping on board, too. Uh, this is uh, coming from Sky News. Twitter plans to ban most cryptocurrency-related ads in the next few weeks. They're not as clear as what they're going to be banning, but this seems like a pretty clear crackdown because this follows in the footsteps of Facebook and Google. It's sort of the largest online advertising platforms are now cracking down on cryptocurrency advertising. Yeah, and, and I, from what I understand, it's mostly because of fraud. Yeah. You know, fraudulent ads. But I'm curious, what is it? Like, is it like the, like, phishing attempts, you know, try to get your login? Or, like, I wonder what pyramid, it is. I bet it's pyramid schemes. It's flash in the pan, like, grabs to try to make money on uh, fly-by-night currencies. Everybody knows that only podcast ads are truly effective anyway. Right. <laughs> you know what they always say, when Twitter, Google, and um, now Facebook close a door, podcasts open a window. Isn't that what they say? Yeah. I think that's what they say. Next week we'll be sponsored by a cryptocurrency. Yeah, right. <laughs> there actually is a, a news guy named Ben Swan who uh, was on uh, like a CBS affiliate and got fired for talking about things they didn't want him talking about. He went off the air for about a year and then came back sponsored by a cryptocurrency. Wow. And now he's doing a new show sponsored by Dash. Wow. Yeah. Well, it happens. Andrews, is there any wisdom like where people can find you or follow the network throughout the week that you'd like to leave people with as we get out of here? Of course. I am on Twitter at A-N-G-E-R-Z. And the network is at Jupiter Signal. I'm at Chris LAS. And check out the links to everything we talked about today. Go to techtalk.today slash 268. And don't forget to check out the Instagram. It's Instagram.com forward slash Jupiter Broadcasting. You maniac. And of course, Tech Talk Today will be back later on in the week. You can get every single episode, techtalk.today slash subscribe. Until next time. Until next time.